Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Amen. We believe that. Love does change everything. First of all, awesome, awesome worship band. God bless you all for leading us. Let's encourage them a little bit. Thank you for doing that. We're glad you're here. We're continuing on in our, in our uh, sermon series called Love Changes Everything. We believe that. Love really does change everything. But here's the deal. We're not talking about Hollywood love. This isn't the, the Phil, Dr. Phil show. This isn't some Oprah Winfrey kind of magazine story on love. Oh, yeah, just believe in love in your whole life. Well, no, it's nothing like that. We're talking about biblical love, and biblical love really does change everything. If you believe that, then how important is it to be able to communicate that kind of love? How important is it to be able to understand and receive that kind of love? If we truly believe that love not only can change everything, but does change everything, then we need to be able to speak this language of love. And that's exactly what we're going to focus on this week. Each week we'll be talking about a different aspect about how love can and does change everything. This week we're talking about the language of love. We're going to try to make it as very practical as possible, but you got to understand something. This kind of love that we're talking about, this biblical kind of love, this is not the everyday kind of love that we see on TV and we read about in the newspaper, we see on, on the internet. This is a very different kind of love. This is God's kind of love. It's almost like it's a different, a different language, a different culture. To learn that language, to learn that culture is to be able to speak this language of biblical love fluently. Here's the problem. We grew up in a different kind of love culture, a different, with a different kind of love language. And when you change culture, when you change languages, you need to go to language school. I told you a couple of weeks ago about one of my wife's language blunders when we moved to Spain, a, a mistake she made. So she said, it's only fair I share some of my language blunders. I think I told you about the time in Germany, we had just been there a few weeks. I had learned a, a, a couple sentences. I wanted to go into a bakery and, and order a loaf of bread because there's nothing better literally on earth in German fresh made bread. And so I, I couldn't wait to get it home and slather it with butter and eat it. So I, I ordered a loaf of bread and they had those fancy slicing machines. I said, a loaf of bread and please slice it. Her eyes got really big because I didn't say slice it. I said, please circumcise it. <laughs> I thought I'd gotten better a few years down the road. We were at our first church. We were planting there and I was, I was going off on this, this canned food drive we were going to have. I, I was telling about the canned food drives and how that was going to help the under-resourced. I mean, here in America, we do canned food drives in the church and in our clubs and our schools. Everyone knows what a canned food drive is, right? Not in Germany. So I'm going on and on and saying, these canned foods, I didn't bring them in if they're dusty. Bring them in if they're dented. Bring them in if they're old. They're going to help the folks that really need it most. Problem is, I wasn't saying canned foods. I was saying your old boxer underwear. <laughs> if it's dusty, if it's tint, well. So that, now you know why it's important to be able to speak the language. If you're going to communicate properly and communicate well, you got to speak the language. Sometimes the problem isn't that we're so far off. Sometimes the problem is we try to get too exacting, too concrete. Some of you, I'm looking around the room, you might remember like I do when, when computers first came out, you know, the dark ages, teenagers back in the 60s and 70s. So, so when the computers came out, they were, try, they were literally trying to decide whether to refer to a computer in the feminine 
or in the masculine. So they got all kind of scientists to do all kind of studies. The, uh, the, 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 the males of the, of the species, the male scientists said, no, no, it's got to be a feminine, obviously, because, you know, you, uh, you, you, you pay all this money to, to, to finally be able to afford one and get one. Then you got to spend half your paycheck on the upkeep and the accessories, of course. And... <clears throat> The women, the women scientists said, no, no, it's the exact opposite. It's, a, it's clearly masculine because as soon as you finally get the money, you finally get the, the, the model you think you want, you bring it home, and it's, it's finally yours. Right away, they come out with a newer, faster, better model, and you're stuck with the old one. Of course, the, the main reason why the women thought it should be uh, a man is because if you wanted to pay attention, you've got to turn it on. So here's the thing about, about language and about conversation, about communicating things properly, it is so important that we use the right words, that we use the right language. So today, as we dig into God's word, as we always do, we're going to understand what it means to communicate this kind of biblical love, remembering that this kind of biblical love is not the kind of love we see in Hollywood and on the television, and certainly not in the internet. This is God's love, that famous agape, unconditional, no strings attached kind of love. How do we best communicate that. And as we do that, let me give you a couple of tips. Number one, at the end, we're going to get really, really practical, okay? I'm going to share some ideas with you that you can begin using today, all right? And before that, probably just because of the, the limited time, the, the kind of sharing and communicating of love we're going to talk about in our brief time together this morning is best used within a relationship. You know, husband, wife, uh, parents and kids, kids and grandparents, uh, brothers and sisters here in the church. So it's really kind of for insiders, all right? So let's, let's dig in. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have it, you can take your phone, aim it at that little QR code in front of you. In front of you, it'll open up the Bible app, or you can just check out on the screen. You'll see the, the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to dig into a couple verses right away, and then we're going to see what God has to say about how we communicate this kind of biblical love. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's start in verse 15. And I'm going to kind of jump a little bit, so if you're reading in your own Bible, just follow along. Ephesians chapter 4, let's start with verse 15. So uh, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect, every respect, the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. Jump to verse 17. So, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Those are pretty much everyone else. In those days, those were the ones who did not yet believe in Jesus Christ. So, it's kind of the outsiders. So, so for us, it'd be uh, the rest of them, all right? So, do not live like, like the folks that don't yet know Jesus in their futility of their thinking, having lost all sensitivity, verse 19 says, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now jump all the way down to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. All right, that is our text for today. We're going to dig into that, understanding what, what, what communicating gospel, biblical love looks like. But before we do that, I need to give you a little bit of the backstory, all right? If you still have your Bible open, look back at verse 11. 
The book of Ephesians, written by Paul to the church in the city called Ephesus. He's writing it to encourage them. And you got to remember, this is still the very beginning of the, whole, uh, of the whole church in general in the world. And so he's giving them very basics on what it looks like to be a Christian. Now, the very first believers, they were with Christ. They saw him teach. They watched his miracles. They heard his voice personally. But as we get on in years after Jesus returns to his Father in heaven, then it's more important for guys like Paul to, to write these letters to encourage them and give them some guidelines. What does it look like to live as a Christian in Ephesus? What does it look like to live as a Christian in Cape Coral, even all the way up in North Fort Myers? What does that look like? And so that's what this book of Ephesians is all about. As he gets to the end of the book, which is where, where we're at now, he gets really concrete. He says, okay, once you've learned this, once you start living the way that, that Jesus taught and I'm describing here, Paul says, now it's time for the church to begin living that out. And here's the deal. When you live that out, you're going to be different. Listen to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people, that's y'all, for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We do all this, why? Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. Then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves. Then we will no longer be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So this is what Paul's giving us. This is a backstory to the text we're reading for today is that Paul is encouraging training, walking alongside them, giving them parameters, giving them, giving them commandments, giving them direction, what it looks like to live as a, as a Christian as they're getting it, as they begin living this out, as they, begin coming, as they begin coming together as a church, as a body, a lot like our body here. He says, here's the deal. If you start living this way, if you start loving this way, if you start communicating this kind of biblical love, which just like it's very different from the love of our world today in 2022, this biblical love was also very different than the kind of love that was out there in the year that Paul wrote this letter. He said, if you begin living this way, it will be radically different. Everyone will see it. Everyone will know it's different. And some will be attracted and some will be rejected. But this is how you are to live. So let's dig in knowing full well that this is not the status quo. When you walk out those doors, you will not meet neighbors and friends and colleagues living this out. You will be different if you live this out. Number one, the language of love is, is lovingly truthful. We need to understand that. Look at verse 15 one more time. Now we're back in the text. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So we must speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Now we've talked about this in the past. Speaking the truth is important. And, and most of us, for many of us, that's not really a problem. Some of us actually enjoy it. <laughs> you know, we, we, we kind of, we, we, we say, no, I, pastor, I, I have no problem with this. I, I always speak the truth. In fact, I, I speak the truth whether they want to hear it or not. In fact, I love when I got a little nugget of truth in my pocket so I can pull it out at an opportune moment and wham them with it over the head. I love to speak truth. Give me an opportunity, pastor. Give me an audience, and I'm all about the truth, brother. Give me a microphone. I'll stand up here for an hour, and I'll tell truth until it hurts. 
This is not what God's talking about, by the way. Speaking the truth is not speaking the truth till it hurts. The purpose of speaking the truth is to build up. We just read it. To build the body up. Speaking the truth is not to be weaponized. The purpose is not to tear down, to embarrass, to remind of past hurts and past sins and past shortcomings. The purpose of speaking the truth is to build up. The opposite is also not true. I read an article this week in, in preparation by a a professor from Harvard, uh, who shall remain nameless, even though her name is written right here, but I, I won't mention it. She says that um, she says, uh, as human beings, and of course from Harvard, she's not writing to the church. She's writing to you know fine folk that live in our society and say fine folk that live in our society they have a problem because they have a desire to be truthful. That's a virtue. They want to be truthful human beings, but at the same time they have a desire and need to be kind. And that's fine as long as you can be kind and you can be truthful. The problem is when at the same time you cannot be kind and truthful. There's, there's some kind of dissonance there. If you were to tell the truth, it would sound unkind. If you were to be kind, you certainly couldn't tell them the truth. So this, this professor says, if that happens, choose kindness. It's better to lie and be kind than to be truthful. And you might say, well, well, Harvard, what'd you expect? But that creeps into our churches. Pastor, Pastor, I, Pastor I, can't, I, can't, I can't say that. Do you know what that would do? To, you know what that would do to their self-esteem? I, I, I can't say that. I, I just, I'm no good at conflict, Pastor. I, I, I can't just come right out and say that, even if it's just the two of us, because it, it might break a relationship. Pastor, I just, I just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe someone else could, Pastor, could you? <laughs> And we're afraid because kindness and truth doesn't go together, says the world. But in fact, it does. The Bible says we must say the truth in love. How do we do that? That word truth is, uh, is the word aletheia. We've had that before. Um, if you know a girl, a gal named Alicia, that's where her name came from. Truth. Remind her of that every day, especially when she's not being truthful. So aletheia means true, what is pure, what is factual, what is reality. And then, of course, the word love is that famous Bible word agape, unconditional, no strings attached. So when I'm speaking the truth, I'm speaking what is factual, what is reality, but in love with the purpose of building that person up. I shared with you about uh, Miss Oda. She was at our church when I was a teenager. I was the, the teenage pastor for youth week. And so when I was 16 years old, I got to preach my very first sermon. I think I told you a miracle happened. It was, it was technically only about 30 minutes, but everyone thought it was more like three hours. And so they, they, they couldn't wait till I just finished and got down. And finally, 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 I, I found the ending to my sermon. And back then, you know, in church, you would go back to the back of the sanctuary and folks would kind of file past you and shake your hand and say pleasantries. Well, there were other doors in our sanctuary. Everyone made a beeline for the other door, but not Miss Oda. She came right up to me, looked me right in the eye and said, David, that was wonderful when you finished. (laughs) She couldn't say a mean word. She couldn't say a hurtful word. She had to speak the truth, but she said it in love. Here's the deal. God is calling us to be truthful, and that may mean a difficult It may mean a hard conversation needs to be had. Even here in the church where we're all good, fine brothers and sisters, we all love Jesus just fine, but sometimes even brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters need to have a hard, truth-filled, reality-filled, fact-filled, 
filled conversation that is very uncomfortable. It does need to be in love. Because here's the deal. If we're doing that, our goal is to build up, to, to push forward, to, to bring ahead in their walk with Christ and not to tear down, to slander, to, to pull away from God, but rather to push them towards God. Coaches understand this. Teachers understand this. Sunday school teachers understand this. We as brothers and sisters in Christ, we must understand this. Also, speaking the truth in love is to push them towards Christ, not to pull them away. Secondly, the the language of love is also the language of being in touch. Let me explain what that means. Look at verse 17, being in touch. Verse 17 says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. Those are the folks that don't yet know Jesus. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Having lost all sensitivity, that in-touchness, They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And on top of all that, they are full of greed. Here is this incredible anomaly that we find in the scripture passage, but also in our own lives. That that, that we have have, uh, lost our sensitivity the sensitivity to, to things that we hear, that we, that we are a part of, that we listen to, that we laugh at, that we look at, that we allow into our brains, into our hearts, into our lives, into our families. We've lost sensitivity. But here's the anomaly. When that happens, rather than run away, we jump into even more deeper, passionate, sensual experiences trying to get some kind of feeling back. Our body, our heads, our minds, our hearts need to sense, feel something, anything, even if it's bad, as long as I feel something. So we jump from one thing into the next. But God wants us to maintain that, that supernatural, that, that incredibly soft and tender sensitivity that he has placed in our hearts, not just in our fingers. There are thousands of nerve endings in our fingers. 7,000 nerve endings in our feet, by the way thousands more in our tongue and in our lips, we're able to sense things as long as those nerve endings and those soft, sensitive parts of our body remain unharmed. We lived in the Caribbean for a few years. Beautiful paradise. I mean, just like you picture it in the movies. It was, it was exactly like this 30 years ago. Very few cars. The children still ran around in, in just, you know, shorts and t-shirt or maybe no t-shirt, just run around. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful place. The kids didn't wear shoes because, well, they didn't need them. They ran on the sand. They ran on the pebbles on the pathways. They'd run up those little goat paths to their little shack up on the hill. Every once in a while, they'd have to come down to the road. There's only, only one road on the whole island. It was blacktop, but it was only a couple feet wide. They'd have to run across that. But here's the deal. It didn't hurt. They've been doing it their whole lives. I got there a couple weeks in. I said, well, what these kids can do, I can do too. I pulled off my shoes, and I went running right behind them. It didn't last long. <laughs> I was a tenderfoot. My foot had been protected. I'd worn shoes my whole life. They were used to it. They had formed what? Calluses on the bottom of their feet, right? That protected them. That's, that was good. That's, that's what should happen. My grandpa, he was, a, he was a boat captain his whole life, and, and much of the work that was done on the boat, he did with his own two hands. He had huge, huge uh, worker hands, and they were rough all of his life. That was good. That served him well because he had to grab all kinds of hard and roughed surfaces that protect his hands to form those calluses. That's fine. The problem is when we develop calluses on places, we shouldn't have calluses. Hands are good. 
feet even better, but our heart, our ears, our eyes. How many remember Tabasco sauce? Remember when that used to be the hottest thing on earth? It's still made today, actually. It's only been made in one spot, little island south of New Orleans. Where's our New Orleans folks? We have some New Orleans folks. Maybe, oh, no, they have COVID this week. Sorry. <laughs> hey, New Orleans folks, we're thinking of you. Sorry, I just remembered uh, the Allen family. They just moved here from New Orleans, and, and they would tell you that Tabasco is still made. Remember when it used to be the hottest thing on earth, and then, then they came out with chipotle sauce and then sriracha sauce? What do they got now? Ghost pepper sauce. You know, it, it is never enough. You got to have more. You remember, I'm going to date myself here, but you remember when the, uh, Frankenstein's monster was the scariest thing on television? You know, make you hide under your covers at night. And they came out with Scream 1 and then Scream 2 and Scream 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Because we need an ever intensifying act of, 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 of sensuality to, to, to please us, to feel something anything. I just want to feel it. The Bible says we become apathetic, unable to feel. We cease to feel things, not in our hands or our feet where that serves us well. I'm talking about our hearts and our ears and our eyes and our spirits. God is saying, no, that is the last place you need a callus. How to get rid of calluses? Well, for one thing, we can protect our hands. We can protect our shoes. You put on gloves, put on shoes. You can make sure that you are not touching things that would harm you. You can make sure that you are touching things that would wear down your sensitivity. You make sure you're not clicking on things that would wear down the sensitivity of your heart. What if you do if you already have a callus? How do you get rid of it? There's medicine. You just ingest the medicine every single day. You rest in places like this or in Bible studies. You go to rehab. You start meeting with others who are calloused in the same way that you have become calloused. The same kind of folks that have lost their spiritual sensitivity. You spend some time in in rehab with them, digging into God's word and understanding how to live in this world, but with sensitive hearts, sensitive eyes, sensitive ears, sensitive spirits, and not calloused over like we find in the rest of the world. That's what the Bible says. Don't be a Gentile. And then thirdly, thirdly, the Bible says that this language of love is also, it's very empowering. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. How important is this? How important is this? We, we best communicate love, biblical love, the love that we're talking about today. We best communicate biblical love when we're communicating to someone else and, and, and blessing someone else and building up someone else and providing for someone else and pushing someone else to God. The problem is the world that we encounter in, in the, the love that we encounter in the world is the exact opposite is what will this relationship bring me? What will this girl or this guy add to my life? What will loving him or loving her give me? me at the end of the day. And Bible says, no, it's the exact opposite. That's what this word unwholesome means. Some of you might even have a, the King James version. Old King James, he was, he was about as direct as they come. This word unwholesome is a euphemism. It sounds so innocuous. Oh, what a, be careful of anything unwholesome in your life. Now, this, this word literally means rotten, putrid, overripe, vegetables, overripe fruit. It even means like a rotting carcass. 
Can you imagine that? Walking around, speaking rotting carcass words to each other? Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Has someone spoken rotting carcass words to you? Maybe with their finger like this? Have you ever spoken rotting carcass words to someone you love? Someone with whom you're in a relationship? The thing about this word is all that rottingness, that putridness comes because it's out of date. It's past its, its usable date. This points right back to the enemy himself. The Bible says the, the enemy, the, the devil, he has a lot of names. One of them is he's a father of lies. He's also the father of past things. What does the Bible say about our sin? When we confess our sin, God cleanses us. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. It even says that when we, when we confess our sin, God throws that sin into the sea of forgetfulness. The Bible says it is as far away as the east is from the west. For him, because of our confession, our repentance, and the blood of Jesus Christ poured over us, it is forgotten. It is gone. But here's the deal. In a relationship, when we're trying to love and, and, and share words of encouragement and love, we got the enemy whispering, if not yelling in our ear, you're not going to make it. Don't be an idiot. You're a big, fat loser. Just like last time, you're going to ruin this one too. And he's reminding us of all the things God's already forgiven, all the things we've already confessed, all the things God has already forgotten, the Bible says, thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Here's the deal. Our enemy never forgets. The Bible says he will not miss any opportunity to remind us of all of our mistakes. And he's whispering, he's yelling, he's reminding without fail, without ceasing. And so we must, we must be sure we do these three things. It says right there in the text, be helpful to build up and to listen. Helpful means uh, to, to, to speak words that are, uh, the, the, the Greek means intrinsically good. Words that bring joy, words that bring health, words that build, uh, that we build up. That's that word oikodome. That means in, in a relationship, again, remember what I said at the beginning, we're talking about folks with whom we're in a relationship, whether it's spouse or kids or parents or even brothers or sisters here in church, that we are literally building a house together through our words. I am loving you in such a way, I'm expressing love to you in such a way, the language of my love is so powerful that when we are communicating this kind of love to each other, we are literally building a house together, and it's a God kind of house with a firm foundation and strong walls, and when that storm comes, because a storm will come, this, wa- this house, these walls will not fall. And then we listen. We listen to what God's calling us. We would oftentimes on the mission field have mission teams come and visit us. This church, in fact, came and visited us once in Germany and once in Spain. It was very typical that, that, that the teams would come and, and want to just tell the whole world about Jesus. The problem was the, the culture was different and the language was different. Every once in a while, someone could speak a little bit of Spanish, but we really never had anyone that could speak much German. But they would come and with, with willing and, and, and happy hearts, they would jump right into whatever ministry we had planned for them. Well, sometimes the folks just really only wanted to share the gospel, and that's fine. We would translate for them and, and have great conversations conversations, but sometimes they kind of get ahead of themselves. I'd look over and see old brother, old brother Johnny. He'd cornered a German guy in the corner. He was just going at it. (laughs) 
He was telling them all about Jesus. I mean, beautiful, wonderful words of life. The gospel message, uh, exactly what I would want to say to this German guy. The problem is the German guy didn't understand a single word. And I said, uh, Johnny, you, you want me to help? No, no, pastor, I've got this. I've got this. And he'd say the same stuff, but just louder. <laughs> that doesn't help. Louder doesn't do it. If we're not communicating, in fact, the Bible says right here, according to their needs. If we're not communicating love in a way that our, 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 our partner, our, our kids, our brother or sister can understand it, then, then literally it's like old brother Johnny trying to share the gospel with that German guy. Those were true and God-filled words, but they fell flat because the guy couldn't receive it. All right, with our few minutes we have left, I'm going to give you guys a very practical bit of uh, help. Uh, how many of you remember reading that book, The, uh, the Five Love Languages? It came out years ago. Many of us have read it. You may have forgotten it by now. Many of you haven't yet read it. I highly recommend it. We come together in these few minutes we have together to study God's Word. That's, that's what we're doing, so I'm not going to spend much time talking about a, a book. But I do want to give you this, this little bit of help. Uh, to take this as homework and maybe dig into it on your own time. All right, there's, there's five love languages. Let me just go through them quickly to help you understand what I'm talking about. The first, the idea of these love languages is this. There you go. The idea of these love languages is this. Each of us have a, a love tank. Dr. Chapman, the writer of this book, says each of us have a love tank, and uh, sometimes our love tank is full, sometimes our love tank is empty. To fill our partner, our friend, our brother, or sister's love tank, we need to speak love, give love, express love in a language that they understand. The more we do this, the fuller their love tank is, and the more able they are to, to return that love or to serve others, love others. So, so we are here filling each other's love tank. So if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that we're filling that love tank in a language that they understand and can receive. So he suggests there's five languages of love, five ways we express love, and each one of us speaks a different language. Um, this is one of those languages. Let's just start with this one, uh, receiving gifts. This would mean literally, uh, well, I guess if we had to put a name to it, it'd be show me the money. <laughs> the, these folks that speak this language of love would say, hey, I, I really enjoy giving actual gifts. I really enjoy getting or receiving actual gifts. When you, when you make something, when you create something, when you go to the store and buy something, when you wrap it up with a lot of love and you give it to me, that means love to me. Now, I, I get it. Not every is that way. You can, you can wrap up the fanciest gift in the world and give it to someone that will open up and say, okay, what's for lunch? You know, it's just not their thing. And so you can imagine how important it is for these folks to get it, whether, whether it's the thought that counts. But some of these folks say, no, no, it's more than the thought. I mean, if you go to the store, you take the time, you spend the money, and if you buy something fancy, I tell you what, that only expresses to these folks how much you love them. But if you give them something fancy to wear, you give them something fancy to drive, no, I, I mean it. When they're driving that fancy gift, when they're wearing that fancy gift, not only do they know how much they are loved by you, but they're able to demonstrate to everyone in their world how much they are loved. This expresses love for some of us. There's another kind of love, of course. There's five total. This one would be words of affirmation. Now, this is more than just an attaboy, but it begins with an attaboy. It's the importance of expressing and demonstrating and showing how much we appreciate each other. Words that build up and words that do not tear down. These could be words that are spoken or words that are written. I remember when Chanel and I were 
we're just dating, I'll give you a hint, this is, this is my love language. So when we were dating, actually we were engaged at this point, I was still at University of Florida, she had already graduated, she was living in Germany, serving there as a missionary. Every single day I would go to the school bookstore and get a card, a beautiful card. I'd spend a half hour picking just the right one, even though I had just been there the day before. I'd get just the right one, I'd sit down under a tree, because that's Makes it more romantic. Sit down on the tree. I write this flowery card and go back to the school post office, buy one stamp, even though I knew I'd be there the next day to buy another stamp, get one stamp, put it on there. I'd mail it off every single day for months. I got one back. <laughs> That's not Chanel's language. She, she received it well. She enjoyed it. She loved going to the post office and, and getting those letters, but it's not her love language, but it was very much mine. He, you might say, yeah, but, but Pastor, the, the guy I'm with, the gal I'm with, the, 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 the brother or sister that I'm called to love on, even if it is their love language, I, I don't even know what I would say. I, I, they're not that exemplary. That, there's not that much to encourage. Here's the deal. If there are 10 things you could say about that guy, 10 things you could say about that girl, but only two of them are good, just say the two good things. Encourage them about the things they're doing well. Encourage them about the things they need to hear. That is the fuel that will fill their love tank enough for them to work on the other eight things. Next kind of love language is this. What do you say there? Quality time. Many of you, I'm not exclusively ladies, but often the ladies will speak the language of quality time. And this is simply time spent together, just like you would imagine, but, but not time spent together, guys, in front of the football game, or not time spent together at a restaurant with both of your phones out. I'm sure none of you have done this, but you've seen other couples at the restaurant with both of their phones out. Sure, they made a date night. Sure, they're alone. Sure, they got a babysitter for their kids, but they're looking at their phone and not each other. Quality time is so important to focus on your partner. It doesn't have to be all business. It doesn't have to be all love and mushy-gushy, but it has to be undivided attention. I remember by the time we got down to number four, Olivia, she was, uh, well, time was pretty sparse by the time we got down to baby number four. And I remember one time we were running back and forth between church and kids and all the stuff you do as young families. And she literally grabbed Chanel's face and turned it to her and said, mommy, look at me. <laughs> you know, we had plenty of FaceTime with baby one and lots with baby number two, quite a bit with baby number three. But by the time you get to baby four, there's not much FaceTime left. But that was her love language, and she needed that undivided attention, that quality time. We are, we, are, we are called to communicate that you are the most important thing in my life right now. That's what quality time means. And then there's a couple more real quickly. Acts of service. I wonder if our folks online can see it. Let me put it over there. Acts of service, this is, this is important when a lot of our folks speak this language, uh, not exclusively ladies, but oftentimes ladies will speak this. And this, this means that uh, when you do something for them, when you help around the house, when you help them at their job, when you, when you help them with their, with their ministry at work, whatever it is that you, you involve yourself, you, you put down your things and you help do their things, that's how you express love to them. You could bring them gifts. You could say, honey, let's sit on the couch and cuddle. You could, you could buy them a new car. You could do all those things, and it's like, boom, right over their head. But if you knock off two or three things off of their to-do list, oh my goodness, you have changed their life. You have filled their love tank up to the brim. Why? Because these kind of folks are spinning a lot of plates, and it all depends on them. 
when someone takes the time to take something off their plate, take something off their agenda, take something out of their calendar, you are allowing them to relax and, and, and be at peace. Peace that they don't normally sense in their day because they got so many plates in the air. So you're, you're expressing love by doing that. And then finally, there's one more, and that is, of course, physical touch. Physical touch, guys, this is not exclusively a guy thing, but often it is. We guys, we, we love touch. Freud would have a lot to say about this, both those who, who have this as their love language, also those who do not have it as their love language. I'm sure he'd have a field day with all, all that kind of stuff, but here's the point. This is a love language, actually physically touching. In fact, Jesus, who, by the way, would, would demonstrate every single one of these love languages, he was fluent in all five of them. He, uh, in, in the book of Matthew, there's this one story where a, a leper comes to him for healing. Now, Jesus had healed people over and over again in the Bible, all over the place. He's healing somebody. Even lepers, he, he, he'd done it before. Sometimes he, he, he says something from far away. Sometimes he says, go and it will be done. Uh, all kinds of ways he heals lepers, but not this time. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, the leper says, hey, could he heal me? Jesus says something crazy. He reached out before he does anything else. He reaches out and he grabs the guy's arm. You could have heard a pin drop. No one ever touched a leper. Ever. In fact, when you meet this guy in heaven and you were to ask him, I would almost bet that as important as the fact that he had just been healed by Jesus was the fact that that was the first human touch he had maybe had in years. His own wife wouldn't be near him. His own children hadn't jumped into his arms. And Jesus just reached out. Jesus didn't even have to touch him. He was Jesus. He reached out and he, and he held onto his arm the entire time. And then he healed him. He understood the power of human touch. If you or someone you're related to or someone you're living in the same house with speaks that as a love language, it is that important to them, as important as words of affirmation, as important as, as quality time, that physical touch, that cuddling, that hugging, all those things are just as important to that person. Each one of these languages is important. Here's the, the homework I'm going to give you. If, if you have a phone, in front of you is that little QR code. You can... Aim your phone at that QR code, pull it up. There's a love language quiz. If you don't know what your love language is, you can take that quiz. It takes about five minutes. Don't worry. It sends the results to you. It doesn't send it to me or out to the internet. It's just for you. Or maybe you've picked up right here just this little bit what we've talked about, the love language. Maybe you've been reminded what yours is and maybe what your spouse or your kids or your parents' love language is. Here's your homework for this week. Dig into this. If, 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 our, if our role, if our task as believers is to express biblical love in a language that our, that our parents, that our kids, that our neighbors, that our workmates understand, if that is our role, how better to do it than in a language they understand and can receive? I encourage you to discover this for yourself and for those you love and begin speaking in their language. Begin expressing love in, a, in, a, in communicating love in a language that they can understand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, the book of Ephesians is so packed with meat and understanding about the Christian life. Loving well is just a part of that. God, I thank you for what you've demonstrated through your word of how important it is to love each other well, biblically love each other well. God, I pray that this church, this body right here today 
would, would, would be empowered to do that. God, what a change, what a difference that would make in our city, in our region, if just, the, just the, the, the few folks that are here this morning went out with a goal, with a purpose in place to love their world biblically, God, that would, that would show up on the news, that would show up on the internet, that would show up in the, in the, in the mouths and the conversations of people all around us. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.